They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to The Guy Who Knows a Guy. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself. Today, our guest is Paul Comfort. Paul is the Senior Vice President of Business Development and Chief Customer Officer at Trapeze Group. He is host of the award-winning podcast, Transit Unplugged, and best-selling author of The Future of Public Transportation. He's a passionate transit evangelist and frequent speaker on the most important issues facing transit today and how to solve them. He most recently serves as the CEO and GM of MTA Maryland, that's Baltimore's transit agency, the 11th largest transit system in the U.S., and he is now a frequent speaker at transit conferences and a speaker here on this podcast. So, Paul, welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, great to have you here. So, Paul, tell us what makes you awesome. I think what makes me awesome is my passion. I am mm-hmm. super passionate about what I do, and uh, and when I speak and interact with people, uh, that's what I get back from. Them. Matter of fact, we just did one of those roundtables at one of the companies I work for, where we go around and we asked everybody to kind of tell each other what's awesome about this guy, and that's the thing I got. I just did this two weeks ago from eleven other trans uh, leaders, you know, in our software company. Paul is passionate, and we love that. Uh, awesome, that's great. Uh, so, how did you get started and uh, get started on this path? So um, I'm from Maryland, uh, the eastern shore of Maryland, across from Annapolis, and I grew up here very interested in politics. It's funny. Uh, I remember 1976, my parents took me on a trip to Florida to Disney World. I would have been 11 or 12 years old, and um, we watched the uh, Republican National Convention, and it was when Ford was getting you know, renominated, and Reagan was there, and there was this big fight between their, their people, and it was like, you know, I remember a big thing about the white Ford phone was unplugged. The Reagan people must have unplugged it, and dirty tricks, and I don't know. It just caught my interest, and ever since then, I was uh, very interested in politics and you know, ran for office when I was 21, ran for county commissioner and central committee, and got involved in, in uh, politics. And I knew when I graduated from University of Maryland with my bachelor in history degree that I wanted to uh, go into government. I wanted to help people. And so um, a friend of mine, I met a guy. I'm not kidding you. Uh, I met a guy named Irving Pender. Uh, He won't mind me using his name. He's a great guy. He was head of our county department of aging. And um, he ran for office the same time I did when I was 21. He was much older than me. And he, he really liked me. And saw my passion, enthusiasm for, for working in government and called me one day and said, hey, would you like to come work in my Department of Aging? I've got two jobs open. One runs the senior centers called the nutrition coordinator, and one is a brand new position I'm just starting called a transportation coordinator because we have a bunch of vans and there's enough of them now where we need somebody to kind of run them to help take people to doctors and to the senior centers and all that. And we talked about it for a minute and I said, well, what do you think I should do? He said, why don't you try the transportation one? <laughs> and here I am 34 years later, uh, you know, as the one of the world's foremost speakers on public transit, et cetera. Uh, I just, just prior to with, being with you, I was uh, hosting a webinar with leaders from Geneva, Switzerland and, you know, Los Angeles and all of them talking about uh, transit concepts, et cetera. So 
I kind of fell into it, man. And it was because I met a guy. I love it. Yeah, and and it's also it's not just it's not like you were staying at the bus stop and you happened to bump into no, him. Like you no, met him yeah. because you put yourself out there. That's right, and that's that's a huge lesson. You met him because you know, you're running for office at a young age, and uh, I imagine there there weren't a lot of 21 year olds running. At, no, in that that's election. right. Yeah, <laughs> yep. no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I I found that sometimes you know just kind of sometimes you you go out and people are like you, you can't win. Your, did you win that election? I won for central committee, but lost for commissioner. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes people be like, yeah, you, you, you can't win that. You're too young. It's not going to work. And even if you don't, people see you do it. They're like, whoa, you know, you, you, you got in there. You got, you know, sometimes you see these people like 22 years old running against the guy who's been in office for as long as they've been alive. Yeah. And of course they're going to lose. There's right. no way they're going to be there on the ground game, but they get noticed. That's right. And they start getting phone calls That's and right. they start, you know, people offering them jobs or saying, hey, next time you run, I want to help you or or, yeah. you know, you should join the committee. You should join this. You yeah. join that. A, a lot of good things come out of just putting yourself out there and taking that shot. And that's that's a great, uh, great lesson there. I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about so so you you do a bit with transit, I hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from there, just, you know, kind of to, to wind the career path quickly through. Uh, I did that for seven years, Michael. And uh, because I was passionate, and enthusiastic, I got involved in all the associations. You know, every industry you're in has an association, right? Podcasters mm-hmm. have one. Well, so do transit people. And so we had the Transportation Association in Maryland. And I got super involved and became elected by all my peers at age 26, 30 <laughs> years ago this year. Uh, elected as president of our state association and went around the state for four years, reelected four times, helping other transit agencies in Maryland. There's like 30 of them. Every state has these, you know, county and city, small city bus systems, et cetera, uh, and learned a ton. Uh, we won an award in 1991 from what's called the Community Transportation Association of America as the best small community transit system in America. So I won that at age whatever I was in 91, you know, like tw- uh, in, in my late 20s. And that opened up all kinds of doors. Then I started getting calls. You know, you win a national award for something you're doing. And so then I went into the private sector. There's a bunch of companies that manage city transit systems around America and the world. People don't even know that. But yeah, you know, like like you go to BWI Airport here in Maryland and their shuttle buses, the airport doesn't run them. They contract them out to a group called First Transit. So mm-hmm. I ended up working for a group that ended up becoming First Transit. <laughs> they were called uh, Mayflower at the time, and then they were part of Mayflower Moving Vans, and then they went to Laidlaw. They got bought, and then they uh, then they got bought by First Transit, which is a big British group. Anyway, so I worked in the private sector in what's called business development, and that was like winning contracts for these companies to run the city transportation system. So I, you know, I won contracts from the Microsoft Corporation in Redmond, Washington, where I set up for them their first on-campus shuttle system. We had 45 minivans. So, you know, if you worked at Microsoft back then, the Redmond Washington campus was about two miles with all these buildings, two square miles. And they didn't want to have people have to, you know, come down the stairs, go out to their car to move to go to another meeting, you know, start their car up, warm it up, drive it across campus. They'd rather them just pick up the phone, push a button and a van to pick them up right at the door. So we set that up for them. And now it's a $20 million mega operation with motor coaches and all kinds of stuff that some friends of mine still run for a company called MV Transportation. All the way to uh, the Virgin Islands, where I want a contract to run Vitran, which is the the you know the the bus system on the island, where I found something really interesting. Man, they've got thirty holidays in the Virgin Islands. They have Supplication Day, the day before the hurricane season, where you're supposed to pray, dear God, don't let us be killed. <laughs> you know, to Three Kings Day, to all this stuff. Man, what a great place to live and work. So anyway, I did that for a bunch of years and then got back into local government and, and became the CEO of two county governments called County Administrator. 
uh, where you run the, you know, 500 employees in my home county, moved to another county near Washington, D.C. at 1,000 employees. Love that job, man, running stuff. And I, if, if you want to get into it later, I can tell you to. But I'm not kidding you. Every single one of those jobs, Michael, that I got was because I met a guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, let me just give you one quick story. This is such a cool anecdote, man. Like you said, it's putting yourself out there. That's a really good analogy. I've never heard anybody like say it that way, but that's right. So when I became a county administrator, I got super involved in our state association. MACO, the Maryland Association of Counties, has all these, you know, county planners association, county recreation and park directors association, county transportation people. So, but they also have one for county administrators. So I became president of that. All my peers elected me to be head of that group. And one of the guys there was an acting county administrator in Charles County, Maryland, near Washington, D.C. He said, I don't want this job. I'm head of planning and zoning. I just did it because, you know, they asked me to step in. You'd be perfect for it, Paul. And so, you know, guy I met. So I, uh, I met the other guy who was the former county administrator and had lunch with him, learned everything about all the issues I needed to know that were hot in the county right now. And then I went in and did the interview and they called me on the way home and said, we've never interviewed anybody who knows so much about our current issues. And it's all just because I met a guy, I did my homework and, uh, you know, identified what their current issues were, which is something I learned when you're in an interview. If you can be aware of the public challenges, not that you know the inside stuff, but at least the public challenges that they're Mm -hmm. going through and maybe even throw out a couple possible solutions and they see you as a problem solver. Man, they want problem solvers. So somebody who knows yeah. enough about them to do a little homework, you'd be amazed by the people that don't do any homework. That go into an interview blind, and you know they just read the ad and maybe uh, Googled them, and they don't. So <laughs> that's how I was able to get that job and many more like it by meeting somebody who then turned me on to it. It's usually never anybody who's like a real close friend of mine. It's more like an associate, a work associate. Uh, and uh, they say, oh, Paul would be perfect for that. And I've done that for hundreds of people. I love getting people jobs. One of my favorite things to do. I just was in Las Vegas last week trying to help somebody get a job. And so um, meeting people, connecting people, that's part of life's joy and pleasure, I think. Yeah, that's, that's really great. That's uh, one of the things I've heard. I, I can't source this uh, statistic, but I think it's 54% of all jobs come through networking. Yeah. And some massive percentage of them are never even listed. Uh, It's just somebody knows somebody and says, Hey, I got a thing. And, and uh, let's just put you right in there. Yeah. Um, And and you're totally right about the research too. You know, people, I I, I think sometimes it's the job search process too, because you, you you end up going to these job sites and you you put in a hundred applications to get one interview and is it even a you know real interview or has the job already been filled through someone in their network? So why are you going to put in all this research? And yep. So you don't expect to get it. So you don't do the work. So you don't get, so you don't get it. And it's a, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. But I, I, I think the, the main point here that both you and I probably would agree on is that um, through networking and connecting with people, you open yourself up to a lot more opportunities. Um, yes. And and then you can decide, like you said, is it worth it doing the homework or not? But on this one, I felt like it was. I really felt like I was guided to that job. And we get this. One other little story about that. This guy was a guy named Roy. So he had told me about this at a meeting we were at of the Mako. And I wanted to tell him before he left, before he walked out the door, that I was interested in it, which was later that evening. There was, I don't know, 1,500 people at this big dinner in this big conference room. The governor was there speaking. There was a big crowd. Martin O'Malley was there. And um, so after the dinner, I'm walking out. And this is it. He's leaving after this. I won't get to see him face to face if I don't walk into him right now. 
and there was, you know, three sets of doors or two sets of doors. And I just felt guided to walk to the set on the right. So I walked over there and I'm not kidding you, Michael. I walked out and bumped right into him with this mad <laughs> rush of people going out the door. I said, Roy, you're just who I wanted to see, man. And then I told him I was there. He said, beautiful. I'll go home right away and start working on helping you, you know, get the information you need to get the, to get in before the commissioner. So it all worked out. And um, that's the way I think, you know, we don't know where we're going when we go down this, you know, uh, mouse maze, so to speak, in our mm-hmm. life, right? But we got to get walking down the maze to get to the end to see which way should I go, right or left. So many people have what I, you know, what we all call paralysis by analysis, right? You're constantly trying to figure out, well, what should I do? I don't want to make a decision because I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't know. No, no. You can steer a moving car much easier than you can one standing still. That's one of my main yes. life lessons. So you got to get going in some direction. I mean, it's like a Rubik's cube, right? You can, if it doesn't work this way, turn it that way, but get going. Don't just sit there mm-hmm. staring at the Rubik's cube. Yeah. Well, and yeah, you're totally right. The, the worst decision is no decision. There you go. The worst action is no action. Even if, even if you take the wrong job, you know, I, I've had plenty of jobs that I kept for under 12 months, but they weren't bad jobs. It's right. not bad that I took them. Uh, it's only, they weren't the job I wanted to stay with. You know, one of the best jobs I ever well, I should say one of the best experiences I ever collected was from a job that lasted for five weeks and uh, practically drove me to nervous breakdown. But I learned a <laughs> tremendous amount in those five weeks, yep. and I'm totally glad I did it and totally glad it's over, but totally glad I did it yep. and and took that course. So, you know, whatever happens is going to lead you. Yeah, lead you lead you where you want to go. That's right. I mean, I wrote a book about it, Full Throttle, which is why I was interested in doing your podcast because there's a chapter in my book, Full Throttle, which is on Amazon, that is called I Met a Guy. And it's all about these kind of stories. And this book has the stories of 10 CEOs. Myself, I wrote 21 chapters and I asked nine of my other friends who were CEOs to each write a chapter. Uh, and they wrote living life to the max with no regret. You know, the decisions they made. Uh, so one guy... Uh, was president, actually the same company, First Transit, that I mentioned. Um, he's a good friend of mine, actually. We work together now in a group called the North American Transit Alliance. And um, he uh, was offered a promotion, but was going to have to move to Cincinnati from upstate New York. His name is mm-hmm. Brad Thomas. And, um, you know, that's a big decision. you got your kids still in school, all that stuff to leave for this job. And he walks through in the chapter kind of the um, – the tick list, he went down, you know, check, check, check. Okay, the positives, the negatives about moving, you know. And then he went ahead and full plunged into it. And it's been, you know, probably the greatest career move of his life. He's been president of this company now for, I think, over a decade. And uh, they're one of the largest transit contracting companies in the world. And um, so, anyway, it worked out But because he went full throttle. That's the my mm-hmm. theme is, you know, you got to go full throttle. Now, obviously, you got to pull back some when you're in, you know, the harbor, right? Because you're going to yeah. make these waves. And w- But once in a while, when you're going full throttle, it's happened to me twice, you get thrown out of the boat, right? The waves mm-hmm. and the rocking and all that. But if you've got friends and a good network and you're connected, you've got friends who are all around you in boats. You can just get out of the water and get in their boat. Yes. That's my theory. Yep. No, and that, that's a that's a great way to put it. I think so many people are afraid of, of losing what they have. And the people most afraid of losing what they have don't have very much. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, people, well, maybe like, that's why they're grabbing it so tightly, right? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll have someone who's making uh, a million dollars a year as a CEO or whatever. They're, they're running a business successful. And they're like, yeah, let's, let's bet it all on this other thing. Let's just go. Let's go for it. I might lose it all. Whatever. I'll right. start a new one. That's Whereas right. you have people making 12 bucks an hour. 
uh, who are like, whoa, I, I don't know if I can transition from working McDonald's to driving Uber <laughs> yeah. because that's too much of a risk, even though I don't have to quit my first job to start doing the second thing. I don't know. It seems risky. Yeah. And and their risk tolerance is, is low and their rewards show it. If you're not willing to take risks, you'll get nothing. As I say, in the Connecticut library, lottery was you can't win if you don't play. There you go. That's right. Yeah. You've yep. got to buy a ticket if you're going to win the game. That's right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, talk a little more about uh, you know, some of the benefits of, of going full throttle and some of those examples. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, passion is a lot is involved in it. Right. But you don't have to be, you know, as an outgoing personality, I think, to go full throttle. I've known a lot of people who are, you know, quiet, more introspective. If you've ever done the DISC personality profile, mm-hmm. you know, they might be the sure, steady, stable, phlegmatic personality, but they know how to how to ramp it up and how to go at full velocity. You know, my theory is that, um, you know, shoot for the the stars. You may not get there, but you might make it to the moon if you shoot for the, you know, use an Elon Musk analogy, so to speak, you know. Uh, and so you've got to go out there and put yourself out there and give it all you've got. One of the keys, in my opinion, is the ability to focus. Michael, mm. I, what I see so often now, you know, my wife and I have been married 33 years. We have six children and six grandchildren. And uh, I can see it in my younger children uh, who have been grown up with this little screen in front of their face, right? And that is their ability to stay focused on something for an hour or two, unless it's a movie, I guess, but to focus in on studying something, you know, and really digging in and figuring it out to the end. It's limited now. And people are on so many, you know, chemicals, right? Uh, whether it's caffeine or whether, you know, which I'm a coffee drinker and all that. But we, so much things happening. We've got music and constantly interruptions. We're playing games on our phone and all this stuff all day long. And we never take time to focus on something, but also to focus inward, which I mm. think is critical uh, to making decisions. I know um, if you're, you know, if you're, you don't have to be an ascetic, right? But you can... Get away from it all. I mean, Matthew McConaughey is a perfect example, right? I'm listening to his book called Green Lights, and he talked about oh, that's how. Right. Love he, that book. Yeah, he, he. I'm about halfway into it, and how he remember he went away for five weeks and into the wilderness and focused just on that, and then he produces, mm-hmm. you know, the best selling book of 2020 as a result of that, uh, and it's because he focused. He went through his life stories, all his notebooks and all, and kept out all distractions. That's what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. That, I think, is a key to going full throttle and to going far, you know, not just having your boat down, but to know where you're going, right? Using the seven habits of highly effective people. The first habit is begin with the end in mind. You know where you're going, then you go full throttle toward it. And the fa- the fastest way to get there is a straight line. Yeah. I, and it's essentially we're talking at this at this point in my career, because um, focus has always been a challenge for me. I've, I've never held a job more than three years. I've always bounced around. I've come to realize that that's prepared me for this because I've learned so much and I have such an encyclopedic knowledge and you know, the encyclopedia is every topic in the world, no more than three paragraphs on any one, which is kind of how my knowledge is. But then in business, you're supposed to focus on a specific target market and a specific offering. I'm like, but, but I want all the markets and all the offerings. And when you go for all of them, you get none of them because you're 5% into everything. And it's taken me a long time to realize you, know, you could have all of them. But you got to do one at a time. And that same thing with my, my schedule. I'd have a to-do list. And I'd just have like a work section on the calendar. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to work on everything. And so, of course, I worked on nothing and got distracted. And now I find, okay, during this hour, I'm working on developing my inner circle. On this hour, I'm doing promotions. On this hour, I'm doing, uh, you know, content. On this hour. And so by allocating like that and choosing, okay, I'm only doing one thing during that time. 
but before I was doing zero things. <laughs> and I felt like I was doing everything. I think it's a challenge a lot of people run into, especially with, you know, fear of missing out and all that. But by trying to do everything and by not choosing one, you end up really choosing nothing and missing out on on everything. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm kind of like you in that way. I'm a generalist. I feel like I have, you know, I, my goal in life was to be a renaissance man, you know, know a, a, a little about a lot of things. But I realized years ago that I also need to throw all in on one or two topics, right? To do what Malcolm Gladwell said in his book, Outliers, you know, become one of those 10,000 hour experts like the Beatles mm-hmm. were on their music in Hamburg and all that. And so for me, you know, it became uh, public transportation. It became public speaking. And I think the idea of finding a niche that you're good at, that maybe not a lot of other people are, is also another great way to succeed. So my podcast is called Transit Unplugged. And I, what I did, Michael, was... Um, I was able to combine the fact that I just left being a CEO of a transit system. So I had lots of friends who are CEOs in the transit mm-hmm. world. Um, and they never get to tell their story unless uh, on the front page of the paper, unless, you know, it's a derailment, right? <laughs> like, a <laughs> you know, or a major bus accident. That's when they're on the front page or on the six o'clock news. But they never get to talk about the great things that are happening. And I thought, this is what I'd love to do. No one else is doing it. I did radio part-time for 16 years during the first part of my career. I love radio. Podcasting is the new radio. Um, and um, uh, and I could I could interview my fellow CEOs about kind of pull the curtain back. What's going on behind the curtain, Dorothy? You know, uh, in The Wizard of Oz, a little man, you know, behind The Wizard of Oz. And, and you could see all the machinations of how a transit system works. And, Michael, before you know it, we were heard in 100 countries, the top in our in our, uh, in our our industry. Um, wow. And a lot of and this this other book I wrote, the future of public transportation, which went to number one last year on uh, on Amazon for books on transportation, was based out of that. I invited forty of my leading, you know, the leading experts in the world who are friends of mine to each write a chapter on what they thought the future of public transportation would look like, and then I winnowed it all down for children because I've got grandkids and I wanted them to be able to see what's. There's no books out there on public transportation for kids, a uh-huh. picture book. So I wrote. Public transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and beyond. In my office in downtown Baltimore, when I was CEO there, I, my office was right next to the old B&O Railroad Station, uh, where it all started, where you know passenger rail in the U.S. started, and the Tom Thumb Railroad, the race and all that. I mean, that was all happening. You know, That's how it all kicked off. And so I said, I'm going to write a picture book about that. And I crowdsourced the artwork uh, on LinkedIn, found a guy in India. It was locked down like I was locked down for five months last year. And every Sunday we had a Zoom date and he would draw the book. I would I gave him a storyboard and it went to number one on Amazon. And so it's used all over the world now in schools for children to learn about public transportation. The UITP, the International Transportation Union, supported it, etc. And so uh, focus, right? Uh, and then narrow down the scope of what you want to do and what you want to tell. It doesn't mean you can't be a generalist like you and me. I think it's important to be a good conversationalist at parties. You need to know a lot about things or et cetera. And that's, you know, some people are just interested that way. Uh, we're not myopic, you know. But if you really want to have great success, I think that you need to focus. I mean, Elon Musk just tweeted last week, you know, I really want to start you know, a, um, a VTOL, a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, like a supersonic one. So that would look like those helicopters that the Marines have, you know, with the two. Uh-huh. Um, but he's like, but if I do, I think he wrote, you know, an emoji, my brain will explode. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, he's got, so he's got, already got four or five main things, right? Hyperloop, which is what I'm super interested in. You know, the tunnels they're digging under Las Vegas. I was just there last year, meet, last week meeting with the head of the transit system about some of that stuff. And then, you know, the spaceships and all the other stuff he's working on, SpaceX, 
Um, so, but he's figured out. I got to focus in. Tesla, obviously, is probably the biggest one. Focus in on a few things and become successful at them. So, I think that's a key. Yeah, and and definitely, and, and if if you don't have a specific focus, like you're, you know, obviously, transit kind of captured you as as one thing. But at least make sure they tie together. So, there you go. so I was like, what do those eight things have to do with each other? Make sure you can explain. Cause like with 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 Elon Musk. Uh, Tesla ties into, I don't, I don't know if he sells the solar company, but you know, Tesla and solar made sense together. That's right. Solar on your house. Now, you know, there's green power going into the batteries. The batteries can then go into the solar system in the house when they're no longer good for a car. Um, you know, SpaceX kind of fits in because you got green tra- transportation and SpaceX, his stated mission is make us two planet species because if we mess this one up right. or somehow this one gets damaged, we don't want to put out all our eggs in one basket. So, you know, tying everything together. Yeah. In that, and sometimes there are loose connections. You know, how does the Hyperloop really fit in with SpaceX Tesla? Well, it doesn't, but it's transportation and that's it's right. cleaner, so that's kind of kind of fits in. That's but at right. least have some some loose explanation of how you can explain. You know, how do these things go together? That's and right. At that's least yourself. There's yeah. a, there's my drawing of a, of a Hyperloop coming out, nice. and I'm telling you, I'm I'm friends now with the guy that's head of um, Dubai's transit system. He's been on my podcast, and I did a, a webinar with him a couple weeks ago. I mean, all these countries, man, they it's more science and fiction now. I'll just say that. And yeah. so, uh, you know, you can you can move your idea forward um, if you're focused on it. So and that's the key. I think we've talked about in a career. If you want to go far, you do need to know a lot. But you also let me just flip it on its coin, flip that coin on its head and go the other direction uh, about people who are just starting in a career. And that is I think that we need to not be afraid to start at the beginning and start small. Uh, it's one mm-hmm. of the chapters in my book, you know, don't despise a day of small beginnings. It's a biblical quote, and I think it's really true. Um, it, you know, I started in a little small county transportation department. We had like nine vans when I started, right, you know, <laughs> and like nine senior citizens who were drivers, and I was 22 years old. I was like their grandkids, you know. We would have, you know, uh, uh for our staff meetings, monthly staff meetings, we do a covered dish meal and all these, you know, these great ladies who make these great foods and bring them in for us. We'd have a great, and we fellowship together and had fun. And I, I didn't, I love that because in a small system, I got to do everything. I got to figure out where, you know, I started a public bus system while I was there for the public, not just for seniors. And so I got to figure out where do I want the routes to go? I got to design the sign, what the bus stop sign would look like. I got to invent the name. I got to write the grants. I got to do all the paperwork. I got a a commercial driver's license so I could drive the vehicle. I did it all, man. I even worked on creating a dispatch software before there even was these softwares. This is back in the late 80s. Uh, So that it'd be simple and, you know, using... um, Back then, it was called Microsoft Access Software. And um, and so we did all that. I learned, you know, like everything. So it's, you know, if you want to use a different analogy, like on a steamship, you know, you may start out down there shoveling the coal. And you'd be like, man, I hate being down here shoveling the coal. It's hot and steamy, blah, blah, blah. It's dirty. Yeah, but while you're down there, why don't you learn about the engine? Why don't you learn about mm-hmm. how the combustion works? Why don't you learn all the stuff? And then when an opportunity comes up, you can raise your hand and say, hey, I know a little about that. I'm willing to volunteer for that job. And then you move over here, maybe a half a step up from where you were, right? So now you're not shoveling it in. Now you're ordering the coal, you know, and and you're doing Mm -hmm. some of that. And then you just work your way up in an organization or in an industry. And like you, you may pop around to a few other jobs and you may not stick at one for a long time. That doesn't matter. As long as there is general upward mobility and you're learning a lot while you're there in the bowels of the ship, so to speak, man, that's golden. And then if you learn how all that works, when you get to the top, like I was the CEO of the MTA, we had 3,500 employees and 2,000 contractors, a billion dollar budget. And I knew how to run a transit system, man. And so 
uh, I could dig down as deep as I needed to go to hold people accountable uh, because I knew what that job required because I used to do that job. I used to dispatch. I used to drive. I was a safety manager. I did all that. And so I could hold them accountable, create key performance indicators that would hold them accountable to the numbers, and then encourage them and give them advice on how to improve. So you can get to the top. You can be a CEO, even if you start kind of at the front line or at the very bottom, as they speak. I don't really see that as the bottom, but some people yeah. do, you know. But you work your way up in the organization to the top. Why not? I, I did that, you know, before I was 50 years old. Uh, and yeah. you can do it. Well, that, that's that's right. On. Like, you know, if you think about baseball as an analogy, if you hit the ball and run to third, you're out. <laughs> like, you got to go to first and then second right. and then third and then home. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of people – and I think it might be also be the entrepreneurial culture, the Lambo culture, the you know twenty two year old millionaires. They see that and they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to sit down here shoveling coal. I don't want to manage, I don't want to manage eight geriatric bus drivers or, or van drivers. Yeah. Uh, but they don't realize is that, or, and and also you know I don't want to make fifteen bucks an hour. They right. might say because they're like, right. I want to do better than that, which is fine, but it's not just fifteen dollars an hour. It's fifteen dollars an hour plus connections and education. Um, and make sure you're learning and growing in those jobs so you can get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's really where the opportunity is going to be. Yeah. Um, remember, and- remember that life, the, the meaning in life is derived from the journey, uh, mm. I believe. And so it's not all about just getting there. If you're a 22-year-old millionaire, think about what the rest of your life is going to be, what that journey is going to be. I mean, not that I wouldn't want to be that, wouldn't want that for my kids. But I'm telling you, uh, part of the, uh, I think part of wisdom is that we need to learn to enjoy the journey. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, that's a lesson I had to learn the hard way. I was always about the destination, wanting to get there. But I realized that I would not be able to be as successful as I needed to be. So when I, just before I got the job, our governor, Larry Hogan, appointed me to be the head of the MTA. Uh, the five years prior to that was the, um, was the boiler room experience for me. So I was running a paratransit system in Washington, D.C. at 12 garages. I was over and, you know, 1,000, 1,500 drivers. And uh, I loved the work, but the environment I was in and the people that were over me were miserable, Michael, and made my life miserable. I felt like a sort of Damocles was hanging over my head all the time, you know, mm. and they would even, uh, you know, there'd be jokes about, you know, we can remove you from this contract with seven magic words. Please remove Paul Comfort from this contract. And they'd wave that over you. And they, they just treated me like a, like a child. I'd never been treated that bad. Uh, it, was the, it was the worst, most miserable work experience of my life. And I could not believe I was in my mid-40s after all the success I'd had that I was operating this environment. But I also learned how to get into the grit once again, you know, and dig down into what's inside of my soul. And, um, and I stood up to the, some of the powers that be who wanted me to do things that I felt like were wrong, that were um, unethical or um, unethical is not the right word. You know, like putting people to split shifts. That's miserable to move somebody to a split shift. And I was directed to do it. And I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that to these people. I love these people. I'm not going to make them work two and a half hours in the morning. And then they have to go figure out something else to do. Now, I don't I don't tell people to disregard the boss, the boss's direction. That's a great way to get fired. But I was able to convince my bosses that that doesn't make sense. Let me show you why. Let me show you what the results of that will be. And I work with Mm. the union to kind of help explain it all. Uh, You know, even though I'm in management, I'm generally a friend of unions. And I think that a lot of times, especially in big corporations, um, unions are important to equalize the balance and to make sure that everyone is generally mildly to moderately dissatisfied, as my old boss used to say. And that's the best. Now, I don't like that, but 
you know, when you have competing forces, sometimes that's the way to get the equilibrium so that you can move forward. And so, yeah. um, uh, but my point there was that five years in the furnace, burning out the dross out of me uh, during that time, you know, working 12 hour shifts, driving an hour and a half over an hour and a half back, you know, just pouring my heart and soul into this job for people that I thought were miserable. Uh, in the end, it made me so much more prepared. And I've thanked them all. I went back and thanked everybody for uh, for the experience. I don't thank them for the misery, but I thank them that it, it turned me into a much more well-honed, prepared leader for what what became the preeminent job in my career, the head of the MTA. And I was able to hit the ground right from the first day running. And, you know, we won tons of awards and improved performance mm-hmm. and all this jazz in just two short years uh, at, at the head of this big agency. Uh, and I never would have happened had I not had that um, experience and worked under leadership, which I thought was unjust at the time uh, and was telling me, you know, and, and, and making me work so hard and dig into things that I didn't think need to be dug into, but it may be a much better leader in the long term. So I'm not saying that to impugn any of the people there in the end. Like I said, it was a good experience for me in the end. Uh, at the time, it was miserable and I hated yep. it. I hate, I call home, I go home at night screaming at my wife on the phone. I hate this job. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but, it turned out to be a very good experience uh, taken on the whole. Well, good. Yeah. And and so so in the last couple minutes we have, since I have you here and you know quite a bit about transportation, I found it a bit fast. I was a bus driver when I went to UMass oh, um, okay. for a couple of years. And, and I certainly recognize that transportation is hugely important and a huge source of, of global warming emissions and and a big issue in major cities and whatnot. So, so in, uh, you know, four minutes or less, uh, what is the future of transportation? Yeah, what's, what's coming down the pike that's exciting? So there's um, there's a lot of hot trends, and I'll touch on a couple of them. But I want to just point out that the situation we're in right now in the end of 2021 has been very unusual, right? So during the pandemic, the government made people work from home. And a lot of people that ride public transportation in the major cities uh, you know, would ride these commuter trains and commuter buses. Mm-hmm. They didn't go to work anymore. And so ridership has crashed dramatically. Uh, and in many cities, it's still under 7 of what it was pre-pandemic. And the new hybrid work style, which many people are going to, where they're only going to come into the office a couple days a week, has changed the model of public transportation. However, there's been policy goals added to our reason d'etre, right? Our reason to exist. Mm -hmm. So in addition to providing safe, efficient, reliable transit with world-class customer service, and if you build it, they will come. Now we're adding in on top of that, what you just mentioned, right? Uh, the goal of one of the goals in many cities now and countries across the world is to improve the environment. And the way to do that is to go to zero emission buses. These buses, which already are environmentally friendly because every bus takes 40 cars off the road uh, and right. creates, you know, less smog and all that stuff and particulates in the air and also less congestion in the cities. Now, if you make them, you know, battery electric, right? Like Proterra, New Flyer, and some of these companies are doing. Or you, uh, or you go to hydrogen, which is a new hot trend for vehicles. You know, and you mm-hmm. move that way. You got states like California who have mandated all of our buses have to be, you know, green, non, you know, non-polluting, non-diesel. Uh, you know, by a set year, I think it's 2030. There, and a lot of cities and states are doing the same thing. So that's one goal. Another one coming out of this is something called microtransit. And it's basically using like an Uber Pool style vehicle, right? And mm-hmm. some cities are even contracting with Uber Pool to do this. And so, because bus routes need to change based on the ridership patterns. So now people aren't going in every day and certain streets maybe don't even justify having a 40 foot bus go down them anymore because not enough people ride, but you don't want to leave grandmom. You don't want to leave traditionally underserved communities, maybe communities of color without any service. 
And so microtransit is on demand. You dial it up on your phone, you order it on an app on your phone, or you call in, and they send out a vehicle, a smaller vehicle, like a van, which could pick up two or three or four people to pick you up in front of your house. You don't have to walk to the bus stop. And mm-hmm. cities are putting it in place of some of the fixed route buses that they had. And they're also using it for what's called first mile, last mile solutions. So maybe you can't make it the mile and a half down to the light rail station to get downtown. You can't mm-hmm. walk it. You just can't. So this last mile solution will help you. We'll pick you up at your house and take you to the station, drop you off. Then you can ride the train into town to go to the museum on Saturday. And we'll do the same, picking you up, bringing you back home. So it's, it's helping to produce more equity and inclusion in cities and providing mm-hmm. mobility to all of life's opportunities. The other big trend right now, we've kind of talked about it, is transit agencies, like a lot of companies, are short on drivers and short on skilled mechanics. A lot of people left during the pandemic. They got on Mm -hmm. this long-term unemployment, uh, and they were actually making, I'm not kidding you, more money not working than they were working. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you combine the state and federal, they might make, I know people personally were making $900 a week on uh, on the combined uh, unemployment benefits. And so now that that's ended at the federal level, it's still, for some reason, a very slow trickle to get people back to work. And so now that bus routes are picking back up and people want to get back on mass transit, We don't have enough drivers in a lot of cities, so they're having to pay out a lot of overtime, et cetera, as a result of that and offering big signing bonuses. So I would say cleaning the environment, providing equity inclusion, moving to micro transit and creating, uh, you know, better hiring, but also uh, better career paths for people. So that if you come into a transit agency, you don't just have to be a bus driver mechanic. If you don't like those jobs, there's, you know, HR, finance, IT, procurement, legal, uh, PR, there's all kinds of stuff. A transit agency, you know, is like a microcosm of a big corporation that has all those Mm -hmm. functions. And so public transportation has a has a very bright future. And we are looking for bright people to come work in our industry as we are in the software industry where I work day to day. You know, my company, Trapeze and Vontis, they're the world's largest transit technology companies. And we're constantly looking, you know, not just for programmers, right? But all kinds of people, people that can, that want to travel, that want to go on site and install stuff on vehicles, right? Equipment or, you know, help us, you know, do stuff in the cloud and all this. There's so many opportunities right now available. If you want to work and want to put your head down and focus in, there's lots of job opportunities for people right now. That's great. And how, how did uh, like Uber and Lyft and, and those kind of services affect public transit? Yeah, they hurt us at first, you know. And so in the end, I think we decided if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> and so so a lot of transit systems, you know, we, when Uber and Lyft came in, what they call the choice riders, people who, who had a choice, who didn't have to ride transit, could do other things. We're like, oh, I like this better. I dial it up. It gets here when I want it here uh, and takes me exactly where I want to go and drops me off at the front of the door. And even though it's, you know, $13 instead of $3 to ride the bus, I've got the money I can afford it, right? So it took off the that that uh, choice ridership out of the transit systems. And so public transit saw a five-year decline in ridership until 2017. And then a guy named Tom Lambert in Houston, um, who came out of the police department and moved into management, figured that out and said, no, we're going to change our bus routes to meet where people want to go today. And uh, and then a bunch of seven systems followed in 2018. We saw an increase. And then systems like mine also did it in Baltimore Link and other cities, Seattle. And before you know it, we were back up in 2019. The whole industry was seeing an increase in ridership. And then <clears throat> the gut punch of COVID. And we're right oh. back down again. So now what we've done, though, in a lot of cities during that time is we've taken this time to reflect and say, what's the real purpose of public transportation? Is it just the nine to five commuter? No. And it wasn't that way always, but that was our primary focus. Well, now though, we've kind of um, 
through all the new technology that's available to transit agencies, you know, and our phones and all that and GPS, you know, we can do this micro transit and we can actually bring Uber and Lyft in. I mean, my company has a, a, a software package where you can plug it right in and it ties in like to all the Lyft drivers in your cities and the transit agency can see where they're all at and can assign them rides in their micro transit. So uh, it's called Trip Broker. And so, um, you know, all this new technology is allowing us to kind of bring everybody together under the same tent. Now you've got scooters, right? Bikes in cities, you know, electric bikes, and they're all being kind of brought under the umbrella of this new mobility. And the transit agency is now no longer not just the provider of transit, but the aggregator of all things mobility. And the, the, high, the high ultimate is at the end, you put it on a phone, there's an app called a smartphone app that's called Mobility as a Service. And you could take all those things, the scooters, the bikes, the lifts, the Ubers, the public transit, the light rail, the subway, put them all on one app. It'll plan your trip. You can pay for your trip with one click of a button behind the scenes to your account. And it'll tell you exactly, walk 16 steps, turn right, get on the right there. And it'll, it'll just guide you through like you're the Jetsons. Pretty cool. And what's that app called? That's called Mobility as a Service, Mass. It started in Helsinki, Finland about five years ago, and it's taken the world by storm. And a lot of cities across the country from Dallas to Denver are trying it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, this has been really interesting. Uh, So I assume that we can learn more about the transit stuff at the Transit Unplugged podcast. Yeah, transitunplugged.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. I've got a website called futureofpublictransportation.com where there's lots of good information too. Uh, And, you know, if you want something for your kids this Christmas and you want to introduce them to something – uh, look it up on uh, on Amazon, The Public Transportation by Paul Comfort, uh, and uh, get them a nice book, uh, a colored you know picture book. It's beautiful. It'll get them interested in the history and kind of where it's going in the future. It's a pretty cool book. Well, that's that's great. Well, it's been great to have you on here. This has been a lot of fun. And, uh, and Thanks for having yeah, me. You do have a little bit of passion. I, yeah. I, I sense that a bit. <laughs> you got me uh, worked so up. I'm all excited. <laughs> yep. Great to have you on here. Thank you. Take care, brother. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people, in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV-Connect.com. December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.